Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Bruce Lipton, PhD. Bruce is an internationally recognised leader in new biology and the bridging of science and spirit. His pioneering research on cloned stem cells presaged the revolutionary field of epigenetics, the new science of how environment and perception control one's genes. Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin's School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking research at Stanford University. He's the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief and received the 2009 prestigious Goy Peace Award in honour of his scientific contribution to world harmony. Bruce, <laughs> welcome. This is, this ah. is round two. Like, actually, it's, actually, it's almost round three and I, I've got to put my hands up. I've, I'm responsible for all the markups before. We had technology issues. We had, we had all the hey. issues under the sun and you have been so patient and you've given me another chance. Timing. Timing is set by the universe. No arguments. Just go along with the flow. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. Going with the flow is very important because when you resist the flow, that's when the heat happens. Resistance is heat. It's like back off. <laughs> no resistance. Well, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Um, now, this is a really, this is, I found like researching all our guests, like, I, I found this one really, really interesting. A lot of, of topics which brand new um some which i'm familiar with and i'd love just to just pick your brains for a little bit you know and there's there's been a common belief in the idea of genetic determinism what what is that and why do you feel that this understanding of genes to be incorrect well uh, first of all the concept of genetic determinism as the name says your life is determined by your genes so whatever you got in your heredity is going to be expressed in your life you know it's not up to you the genes, because we come with a belief, almost everybody out there has heard a gene turned on and a gene turned off. What does that mean? Oh, a gene is regulating itself. I go, am I controlling the genes? No, the genes are controlling themselves. And I say, why is that important? Then my life is not under my control. My life is under the control of the genes that I inherited. And I go, why is that relevant? Then I say, since I can't control the genes and they control me, then by definition, I'm a victim. I'm a victim, victim of my heredity. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you got cancer genes running in your family. And it's like, what can I do about it? Expect cancer, mm. you know. Uh, and so people have a belief that their life is predetermined by the nature of the genes they inherited. And I go, yes. And that is also a belief of being a victim because you have no control. And then, therefore, uh, when you're a victim, you give up power. That's what victim means. I have no power. I have no power over my life. Well, it's completely false <laughs> because the understanding is now that the belief in genetic determinism is totally, totally flawed. Let me just give you a simple fact. A gene is the equivalent of a blueprint, just the same as in an architect's office. It's a molecular blueprint to do what? It's a blueprint to make the parts of the body called the proteins. So this is a protein assembly. I say, yeah, but the proteins are very complex. I say, yeah, there's a blueprint, a gene to make the protein. So I go, why is it relevant? And here's a simple fact. Uh, let's say you go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint and you lean over her shoulder and go, excuse me, is your blueprint on or off? She's like, what, are you crazy? Blueprint, no on and off. Precisely. A gene is a blueprint. It has no on and off. A gene is used to make things. I say, yeah, but what do you need to make? I say, ah, that's dependent on what the system is looking for. Not what the genes are looking for, what the system is looking for. I said, what's the system looking for? I said, 
It's what the nervous system is saying. The nervous system is telling the biology, this is the world you live in. And the and in that information, the genes adjust your biology to survive in the world. You change your view of the world, you change which genes you're activating. And why is this relevant? Because the fact is this, a gene has no on and off. A gene is controlled by the mind. And this is called epigenetics. And you say, well, it sounds like genetics. I go, no, the new science epigenetics is profoundly different point just simple old science genetic control oh control by genes new science epigenetic control i go it's not the same thing i go no 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 epi means above so when i say epigenetic control i'm actually saying control above the genes Control has never been in the genes. Control has always been in our psychology and our belief system. And I say, why is it relevant? And I say, well, if I believe I'm going to get cancer, then I can get cancer. If I'm going to believe I'm going to be healthy, then I can be healthy. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, uh, I, uh, I'm not being controlled by chemicals. I'm being controlled by thought. And that's when the problems come in. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it can work as a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, like whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, if we're constantly thinking something again and again and again, then, you know, whether we're thinking um, uh, thoughts which are empowering or disempowering, it's actually irrelevant. It's we, we are the sort of we're the architect of those thoughts. Right. And it's a manifestation of our thoughts. So that becomes the important part. It's like, okay, there, there are two people have understood one part of this for a long time, but ignored the meaning of it. It's called placebo effect. You know, it's a placebo effect. I said, oh, Duncan, this pill is the greatest modern science. This is going to heal you. And look, it's colored purple. Purple is a good color for healing. Ah, oh, give me the pill. I get well. And then Duncan comes back in and goes, look, hey, that pill was really great. Thanks for the pill. I go, uh, Duncan, it was a sugar pill. And then you have to stop and say, oh yeah, that's called placebo effect. I said, what is the placebo effect? I said, you believe you're going to get well and the belief healed you, not the pill. And so what does it mean? Your belief healed you, not the drug. I go, oh, that's really cool. That was a positive belief about healing. And I had a positive effect. I go, great. Yay. And I say, now, here's the killer. What about a negative belief? Go, Here's the point. It's <laughs> equally, equally powerful to a positive belief in controlling, but a negative belief will take you toward disease and death. A positive belief will take you toward health and healing. We call the positive belief placebo effect, mm. which means you healed yourself just because you believed it. And we never talk about the negative side. The negative side is called nocebo. And what it means is this, a negative belief will manifest as a positive belief, but except when it manifests, it's actually, you know, antagonistic to your welfare, your health and your life. So what's the point? Your beliefs, whether they're positive or they're negative, are manifesting. <gasps> you are, you, uh -oh, I hate to tell people this, you ready? Because this is the part where they all disconnect and they go, I don't want to talk about that. And I go, no, no, you got to talk about this. Here's what's important. Your belief is manifesting your life. You are responsible for your belief. If you, if you have negative beliefs and you walk around the world and go, oh, yeah, geez, I knew that wasn't going to work and it didn't. And I thought I'd get sick and I did. And it's like 
you don't realize the source was in here. It wasn't out here. And so why is, oh, here's the word, Duncan, don't cringe. <laughs> Go for Responsibility. Responsibility, ouch. <laughs> People don't want to hear that because we've been programmed to be not responsible. Oh, your life is controlled by genes. Oh, bacteria and viruses are running your life and you're, you know, a wimp and you, you have no, you know, you're vulnerable and you're frail. Mm. It's like, that's a bunch of BS. Uh, oh, BS means belief system. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> The fact is this, you are so powerful, you can you can walk across hot coals, but you better realize it was a consciousness that got you across the hot coals. If you're in the middle of that walk across the hot coals and have a doubt for the fraction of a second, just a doubt, can I do this? Boom, you just got burned. I tell you, I mean, the, the, the responsibility thing, like it's, I, I, I mean, it's when you first realize that, you know, oh shit, like life doesn't happen to you like you know you you are responsible then at first it can seem this sort of scary overwhelming like oh shit but then actually once you get past that it's it's i mean it's one of the most empowering things to realize it's like okay wait a sec like i'm in control of my life you know whatever i like whatever i don't like i've got the power to change it you know so it's you take you away from victim it takes you away from you know oh you know yeah. No, there's nothing I can do. And it's one of the most exciting things to realize once you get over that initial fear. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really very simple me- mechanistically. So I don't want to, I don't want people to think, oh, we're talking so new agey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I love it. It's like PhD, it's science, it's Wisconsin <laughs> University, Stanford. It's like, okay, this is, this is official stuff. This is what, this is why I love getting on yeah. doctors. Let, let, let me, if I can, in, in about like three minutes, I can put this all together to make an understanding so that we can go from there. And go the idea it. is this. Uh, about 40 years ago, I was cloning stem cells. Stem cells are embryonic cells. They could become anything. So I have a tissue culture dish. I put one stem cell in it, just one, but it divides every 10 hours. So first there's one cell, then there's two, then there's four, then there's eight, six. Oh, it's doubling every 10 hours. At the end of a week, I got about like 50,000 cells in the Petri dish. But here's the point. They all came from one parent. What's the point? There are 50,000 genetically identical cells. I have 50, That's what cloning is. I got 50,000 genetically identical cells. Now, here's, the, here's where the experiment shifted my whole career. I took the cells in the big dish and broke them up into three smaller Petri dishes, three dishes, genetically identical cells. But I grow cells. You have to grow them in an environment. What the hell is an environment? I said, what the cells live in? I said, what is it? culture medium i said what is culture medium?" i said that's my laboratory version of blood in other words if i grow mouse cells i look at the composition of mouse blood because that's what the cells normally live in i make a synthetic version i call it mouse culture medium i grow human cells i look at the composition of human blood and create a synthetic version called human culture medium and i grow cells in it here's the point Three dishes, genetically identical cells in each dish, but I changed the chemistry of the culture medium a little bit. In one dish, the cells form muscle. In a second dish with a different chemistry, a little bit different, the cells form bone. In a third dish with genetically identical cells, but different culture medium, the cells form fat cells. Okay, one dish muscle, one dish bone, one dish fat cells. I said, well, what controls the fate of the cells? And then we stop and go, wait. They were all genetically identical. 
So the first thing is I can't say the genes caused it. Why? They all had the same genes. It was the environment. I go, oh, what's the environment? Culture medium. I go, yep, what is the culture medium? The equivalent of blood. I go, oh, okay, so here's the story. You ready? Bottom line. The composition of the culture medium, the environment, controls the genetics of the cell. Okay, cool. Now, here's the point. Okay, and exciting, Duncan. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I'm excited. (laughs) When you look in the mirror and see yourself, that handsome Duncan, looking back, hey, I'm Duncan. (laughs) I say, you see one organism, but the fact that's a misperception because the fact is you're made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living organism. You, Duncan, Bruce, whatever, is a name for a community of 50 trillion cells. That's the name of the community because you are a collection of 50 trillion cells. I go, ah, here comes the simple understanding of life now. We are skin-covered Petri dishes. We got 50 trillion cells under the skin. I go, yeah, and you have culture medium? Yep. Blood. I go, and what about the nature of culture medium and cells? The chemical composition of the culture medium controls the fate of the cells. And I go, well, wait, that, the chemical composition of my blood is controlling my cells. And I go, yeah, yeah. Now we're finally closing down. What controls the chemical composition of your blood? The brain. The brain is the chemist. I say, what does that mean? I say, well, here's the point. The mind has pictures. Could be a good picture. Could be a bad picture. It has a picture. I say, what does the brain do? It translates the picture into chemistry that matches the picture. So if I have a picture of love <laughs> in my brain, if I have a picture of love, my brain takes that picture, converts it into chemistry that includes like dopamine, pleasure. Yeah, being in love, I get pleasure. Where did that come from? I say, dopamine in the blood gave me pleasure. I say, what else? Oxytocin. I say, what's that for? Bonding. Bond to the one that giving you pleasure. So my brain is releasing pleasure, dopamine, oxytocin for bonding. It releases growth hormone. Why? Because it makes you healthy to be in love. And that's why, hey, look, you could, oh, look, they're so in love. You can see how they glow. I go, the glow, growth hormone added to your culture medium from your brain. So point, the brain takes the picture turns it into chemistry that matches the picture. Picture of love, chemistry of health and happiness. Uh Uh-oh, wait, wait, same person opens their eyes and sees something that scares them. You're not releasing dopamine and oxytocin anymore. Now the brain releases stress hormones and inflammatory agents. I go, oh, they have a different, different effect on the body. They close you down. They get you ready for protection. I go, So my body's response was not controlled by genes. It was controlled by the chemistry. And I say, yeah, but the chemistry is what? A matching of a thought. And all of a sudden it says, oh, my genes. So if I have a thought that I'm going to get cancer, I can create cancer. And in fact, less than 10% of cancer has any hereditary linkage to it. 90% of cancer is lifestyle and belief. And recovery of cancer is what? Placebo effect. I believe I'm going to get better now. And if that belief is real, then the cancer goes away. But if the same beliefs that were still there that caused the cancer, because the cancer was caused by a belief, if that belief is still running, 
even if you have the cancer treatment, you're going to get the cancer again. The difference between those that don't get the cancer again and those that do get the cancer again is the cancer is not the problem. The cancer is a symptom. Mm. It says you have a problem up here and it's expressed as cancer down here. So the idea, if you get a cancer and you think, oh, the cancer cells, they're just stupid cells and the doctor's going to kill them and then I'll be good again. I go, no, the cancer cells weren't stupid. They were following the chemistry of the thought. So the difference between people who will have a treatment and never get the cancer again versus those that get the treatment and end up getting the cancer again, the difference between those, the one that thought the cells were stupid and just by taking them out, I am healed, will get the cancer again because the cells weren't stupid. They were just following the thought. Those that get the cancer and go, oh, geez, my life is not been really good. I'm stressed. I've got all these problems and family and life and all that. And I'm going to change my life. Those are the ones that change the signals. When the signals are changed, the cancer will disappear. And so the whole idea is everything comes down to this. Then it's like that issue in that word, that cringy word, responsibility, because your thoughts are creating. Hmm. And then now comes the Okay, how come I have thoughts of I want heaven and earth and I want love and everything, I want beauty, I want a great job, I want to have some money. How come I'm failing at every one of these things? I have great thoughts, positive thinking. And I go, ah, the little tricky part that they didn't tell you about in school. <laughs> and that is this. There are two minds with different images in them. The conscious mind is connected to you, your spirituality, you as a unique person. That's conscious mind. Conscious mind has imagination. Ah, imagination of happy, healthy, loving, wonderful, or imagination of scary, dangerous, whatever. That's imagination, okay? And I say positive thinking, putting some good thoughts in that conscious mind, which should direct good chemistry and make my life. Mm. And I go, yeah, now here's the problem. You know the movie The Matrix? <laughs> what's what's not, the flip side of the conscious mind? <laughs> it's not science fiction. The Matrix is a documentary. All of us have been programmed. The first seven years of your life is a program. Mm. You say, why? Why? I go, okay, look, I buy a new iPod. I get it from the Apple store. I'm so excited. I'm going to get a new iPod. I take it out of the box and I'm out there with my brand new expensive iPod and I get it out of the box and I push play. Nothing happens. Now I'm really pissed off. Hey, man, I spent all of my money. Damn, I got play. Nothing happening. And a little seven-year-old kid. Hey, mister, you didn't download any music. You can't play anything. Ah, before I can use it, I have to download programs. Before the mind can be used, you have to download programs that when the mind begins to operate, it has some programs. It turns out our mind does not get into conscious creativity until age seven. I said, well, then what's happening before age seven, from birth to age seven? I go, the mind is not the conscious mind that's working. It's the subconscious mind. Subconscious mind is a program database, a hard drive, a disk. I put programs into it. I say, where do you get your programs for your first seven years? You watch your mother, your father, your siblings, your community. You watch them and download their behavior as your 
download. And then when you're age seven, you get a chance to play with the programs. Okay. Well, why is this a problem? Well, here's the truth. The subconscious programs that are in our minds do not come from us, do not come from our wishes, do not come from our desires or our wants or what you want. It comes from other people. I say, why is that a problem? Because if you play those programs, you're not going to where you want to go. You're manifesting what the other people have. So I go, okay, I'm not going to use my subconscious. I go, well, that's a nice thought, but here's the reality. (laughs) The reality is. You only use your conscious mind 5% of the day. The other 95% of the day, the conscious mind's busy in thought, thinking. I go, well, what does that mean? I say, well, it's not paying attention. If it's thinking, it's going inside. Uh, hey, hey, Duncan, what are you doing at Sunday at 2 o'clock? Uh, if you answer, go ahead, answer the question. Sunday at 2 o'clock. I will be, I'll be at a Christmas party with some school friends. Okay, now question. Where was that answer found? Um, look around. Look around. Where were you looking when you were looking for the answer? I was. I don't know. I was. I was, I was like, wait, what? My diary. I, was, I know what I'm doing Saturday where, night. Where okay, they, yeah. I was trying. I was trying to grab it from somewhere. Yeah. Where was it? Not outside. No, from inside. <gasps> the moment you are thinking, consciousness is directed inside. I say, why is it relevant? Then who's controlling what's going on outside? It's autopilot. It's subconscious. The moment you are thinking, the subconscious takes over and you go, yeah, but what can it do? Well, first of all, the subconscious mind as a computer, a million times more powerful a processor than conscious mind. So when you let go into the subconscious, you got a much more powerful computer. Okay. But the problem is this subconscious mind just plays programs. It doesn't create. It just creates whatever program you got. It's going to play it. You got a self-destructive program. You got a negative program. The moment you're not paying attention, you're thinking. The autopilot takes over. Cla- point. Does it get to the point? Ninety-five <laughs> percent of your life is not coming from your creative wishes, positive thinking, visions of what you want. of your life is coming from the autopilot subconscious because you are thinking and therefore you are defaulting. And I go, yeah, but the programs in the subconscious don't support your wishes and your desires. And most of them are negative and disempowering. So I say, so if I'm running my life 95% of the day, I'm playing programs that sabotage me. I don't see it. Why do you mean I can't see it? I'm, I say, because that 95% of the time, you're inside your head and you're not playing from consciousness. You're just playing from tapes. And I go, why is it relevant? Well, if the freaking tapes are negative 95% of the time, then imagine that your life is a struggle trying to overcome the negative things. He's saying the universe is against me. I go, no, the universe is not against you. Your subconscious mind. I, I tell this one story, Duncan, maybe you're familiar with it. And I hope you laugh because then it will say you are. <laughs> I love what you are. I love yeah, whatever. I, I, I love it most stuff. <laughs> Somewhere along our lives, we grew up, we had friends that we were very close to. We knew our friends behavior very, very well. And the significance about that is then you someday see that your friend has the same behavior as their parent because you know their parent. You know them, you go, oh, they have the same behavior. And you get so excited. You got, you got to tell somebody. You go, 
hey, you know, Bill, you're just like your dad. <laughs> then you back away from Bill because Bill goes totally ballistic. How can you compare me to my dad? And most people laugh. Do Here's your laugh mode. Laugh now, Duncan. <laughs> okay, see, most people it's laugh like we're in the theater and then you got like applause and laughter. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, why is it relevant? And the answer is simply this. Most people are familiar with this and the fact is this. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who doesn't see it is Bill. He's the one that says, how can you compare me to my dad? And everyone else can see it. And I say, explain it. I did. What was the explanation? 95% of the day, Bill is thinking. 95% of the day, as he's thinking, he's not coming from conscious, creative, positive wishes. He's coming from subconscious programs. His dad. That's where he got the program. So 95% of the day, he's acting like his dad. I say, yeah, but he doesn't see it. And I go, why not? Why is he playing the program? Because he's thinking. Therefore, he's not seeing the program. And that's why everybody else can see Bill behaves like his dad. And the only one who doesn't see it is Bill. And now for the big conclusion of this big story, I'm telling <laughs> we are all Bill. Every one of us is doing this. Whether you see it on Bill and you don't see it on yourself, it's because you're Bill. You don't see your own behavior. Our own behavior, 95% of the day, is invisible to us. Occasionally, occasionally we do see it. And we go, oh, oh my shit. God, I was just acting like my mom. Oh, <laughs> you know? But that's rare. Most of the time we don't see it. So I say, why is it relevant? The life you're living is not your life. The life you're living is the program. And the re relationship of why it's so important is because that program does not take into consideration what you want, mm. what your wishes and desires are. It's other people's lives, and most of them are screwed up anyway. So you are being screwed up, not with consciousness, because your conscious mind's not doing this, below consciousness. And so we have to, to take the, the red pill. The red pill is get out of the program. This is what I was, this is what I was coming on to. I was like, okay, so we're, we're running these scripts. We're running 95% programs what can we do about it once okay so the first step is realizing admitting okay we're running this program rather than you know yeah. pretending it's not happening we know now what can we do to change that story okay, and here's the answer and here's the answer first of all let me just suggest that most people in this audience at one time or another for maybe a very short period actually did take the red pill and their lives were profoundly different i say when was that i say when you fell in love with somebody, when you fell in love with somebody, your life could have sucked every day up until the moment you meet this one person. You meet them and love is in the air. <laughs> and I go, well, what is the difference? I say, the day before life sucked, now you found this person and you're in love. And guess what? It's heaven on earth, man. Everything is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Your partner is beautiful. Your job all of a sudden is not so bad as it was. Everything is like golden glitter on it. I go, what's different? Science has recognized the fact when we fall in love like that, there's a period of, which I call the honeymoon period, where we stay in the conscious mind. It's called in Buddhist terms, staying mindful, meaning I stop thinking. You say, what, what do you mean you stop thinking? I say, look, if your whole life you've been looking for something and it shows up in front of your face, why would you disconnect and go into your mind? It's here in front of your face. You keep your mind present. I go, oh, wait a minute. Now we're operating from conscious mind. 
The first time we're operating from conscious mind more than 5%. I say, what does it mean? Conscious mind is creative wishes and desires. I say, then two people that have fallen in love have just done what? Manifested a life in the beginning based on wishes and desires, both of them. And when they do their wishes and desires, not their program, they manifested the honeymoon, which is love and beautiful and everything. I go like that. And I go, oh, then here's the point. When you fell in love, you stopped playing the program. You started creating from that conscious mind, the one with positive thinking, wishes, and desires. And the moment you started creating from that mind, your life changed instantaneously into heaven on earth. And I say, well, how come the honeymoon doesn't last? And I go, because at some point, your life still has things like paying the rent, fixing the car, doing the chores. I say, then you start thinking. I go, what happens when you start thinking? I go, oh, the behavior that is now coming out of you is not your wishes and desires anymore. It's now your parents and your family and their behavior. And, the media and if their behavior the wasn't just, that good, yeah. guess what? You've thrown a monkey wrench into the relationship because now you're playing behavior. You didn't play this during the honeymoon. The honeymoon, you stayed conscious. Wishes and desires. But the moment... You start thinking, you start playing the program. And your partner, who is knowing your behavior in the honeymoon period as being the most wonderful partner behavior ever, they, your partner loves you because your behavior is so great. <laughs> the moment you start to default to the subconscious, behavior shows up that have never played in that relationship. Most of it negative. Most of it disempowering. And why is that relevant? You Remember, you're the one that doesn't see the behavior, but your partner does. So, you know, I say I'm in a wonderful relationship with my partner, Margaret, right? And she comes up and asks me a question, and I'm in the moment of thinking about fixing the car. And she comes up and asks me a simple question. And I turn around and go, blah, blah, blah. And she looks at me and goes, where did that come from? Who are you? Where did that behavior come from? What was the, here's the serious part. A, she's never seen the behavior because it was my subconscious. I didn't play subconscious behaviors because I was operating from conscious wishes and desires, playing the really good stuff. Now I've defaulted. I play this behavior, let's say my father's way of treating my mother. She looks at me and goes, that's never been part of our relationship. I, that's terrible behavior. And she says to you, what kind of behavior is that? And here comes the problem. It was invisible to you. You didn't see it. Why? You were thinking. The behavior that came out was automatic, subconscious, from your father, program. You didn't see it. So she says, what kind of behavior is that? And you're going, what are you talking about? Because you aren't even there. <laughs> this is when the honeymoon begins to fall apart because these bad behaviors start showing up. The more thinking you're doing, the more these negative behaviors start showing up. If you had played some of these negative behaviors on the first date, you probably wouldn't have had a second date. But you didn't. Because you've stayed mindful. And I say, is this new? This whole idea of the matrix and programming? I go, no. The Jesuits have known about it for 400 years. They have a saying that is, give me a child, give me a child until it's seven, and I will show you the man. That's a statement. I say, they've been saying it for 400 years. What the hell does that mean? Give me the programming of the child for seven years, 
And that program will manifest of that child's life when they grow up. That's what happens. And so the idea, the reality is we have been programmed. Most of the programs are disempowering and negative. We play these programs when we're thinking. So we are the ones that don't see these programs. So the question is, your life is not your life when you come from the program. Your life is the program. The only way out is not play the program. Or, and this is the one that I need to leave you with, you can rewrite the program. Cute. But you got to know about <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> so I, I say, so what's your program? And you go, well, I was programmed when I was zero and when I was one and when I was two, I was being programmed. I don't know what those programs are because I really wasn't there. Yeah. I go, we're literally, we're okay. like a sponge and we're just taking in. Soak it in. Yeah. No, no consciousness. Consciousness didn't kick in until around age seven. Mm. So the idea was it was just downloading for seven years, programs, behavior to get off the ground. So here's the issue. You don't know what your programs are because you were not conscious when they were going in. And then you go, oh, what was me? I don't know what my program is. And I go, no, no. This is the beautiful part. 95% of your life is coming from the default subconscious programs. Your life is a printout of your programs. Look at your life, and here's simple. Everything that you like that comes into your life comes in because you have programs to support that. Ah. But all those things in your life that you have to work hard at, struggle over, sweat over, put a lot of effort in to make it happen. I'm working to make it happen. I'm working. I say, why are you working so hard? And the answer is, inevitably, what your destination is, what your desire is, is not supported by the program. So all you have to do is look at your life and say, the things that work in your life, you have programs, so give them that. But everything else that you seek, that you work hard at, that you put a lot of effort in to make it happen, I say, why are you working so hard? And for most people, oh, the universe is against me. It's not supporting me. I go, no, no. The invisible behavior that you play 95% of the day is sabotaging your creative character. That your life is a play out of your program. You don't have to go backwards in your life to find out what the hell your programs mm -hmm. are. You are living them. So look at your life. And the moment you see anything that you have to struggle to get, recognize that that thing is not supported by a program. And the idea is, so what do you do? And the answer is, rewrite the program. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, I thought you'd ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell you about it very briefly if I can. Absolutely. First of all, the idea is that you can talk to yourself and change your subconscious mind. There's a little problem with that. There's nobody in the subconscious mind. I say, why is it relevant? Because I say, I'm talking to you, subconscious mind. I want to change this behavior. I don't like this behavior. I want different behavior. I don't want that behavior. Change now. And I go, it's really nice, except there's nobody in there to hear you. So it's not changing. Why? The subconscious mind's a record playback machine. It's like a CD recorder, okay? Let's say you have a, a CD program, hard drive, yeah. right? It's a CD program. And the program's playing, and you go, I don't like that program. So you go up to the CD player, and you go, play something different. 
I don't like this program. Play something different. I don't want this program. Play it different. And I say, how much talking to the CD player will it take before that program changes? And the answer is, you could talk to your blue in the face, never going to change. I go, ah, that's the problem. When we think we can adjust our subconscious program by talking to ourselves, the first error is this. There's nobody in there. So talking to yourself is just frustrating because you keep giving yourself good advice and you keep never following your own advice. So it doesn't work. So I say, how do you change the subconscious program? I say, how does the subconscious learn? Ah, it learns differently than the conscious mind. The conscious mind, by definition, is creative. It can create learning by just creating. A conscious mind could read a self-help book. At the end of the book, go, oh, yeah, that's how to create this beautiful life. So I say, did you understand the contents of the book, Duncan? Let me give you a quiz. <gasps> Duncan takes the quiz on the contents of the book and gets 100. He <laughs> says, yes, I understood all the details of this self-help book. But guess what? My life has not changed, and I know all the freaking details. I go, well, why didn't it change? And the answer was, Reading the book educates the conscious mind, but that's not how the subconscious mind learns. So the conscious mind is really smart, but it only works 5% of the time. So no matter how smart it is, it's not really relevant to the system because you didn't change the subconscious. It didn't learn that way. So I said, oh, if you want to teach the subconscious, then you have to teach it the way it learns. I go, well, how does it learn? Yeah, <laughs> the next question, how, how does it learn? <laughs> Well, let's continue this next year when we do our next interview. <laughs> no, uh, can't, leave, can't leave us on. You can't leave us on that note. <laughs> <laughs> how it learns? I'll tell you how it learns. First seven years, it learns by hypnosis because the brain is in a low vibrational frequency called theta. Yeah, theta is below consciousness. So whatever is coming in when the brain is in theta is not going into the conscious mind. It's going deeper. It's going into the subconscious mind. So hypnosis, you go. Do I have to go see a hypnotherapist? They go, no. And I say, why? Because every night as you go to sleep, as you calm down from the day's work, which is higher vibration beta, and then you're calming down at home, a drink, a little smoke, whatever you're doing, you're calming down, the vibration goes down to alpha, calm. And just as you're going off, the vibration shifts from alpha to theta. So just as you start to go unconscious and sleep, the next phase of brain activity is theta. That's the hypnosis state because consciousness is just shut off. So if you put a pair of earphones on with a program of what you want in your life, positive program, and just put them on, as you're going to bed, as soon as the alpha mind consciousness checks out, the brain is in theta. So if you're hearing a program after consciousness checks out, it's not going into the conscious mind. It's going into the subconscious program. You're auto hypnosis. You're hypnotizing yourself. So every night as you go to bed, you put on these earphones with a program of the positive thing you're looking for, whether it's relationships, health, job, you need to put a program in there. Okay. And you repeat this. And this is how a program gets downloaded in the subconscious. And then after that, guess what? The 95% of the day, you're operating from a new program, the one that gives you the power. Okay. <laughs> Phase one. I say, well, what else? I say, hypnosis works in the child's mind until age seven. 
but you still learn programs after age seven. I said, well, how did you learn after age seven? It's not hypnosis. After age seven, you learn a program by repetition. Yeah, I was going to say habit. Habit. You got to make a habit. How many times did you say A, B, C until you could get the Z? You know, you had to repeat it and repeat it. And every time you could add a few more letters and every time you could add a few more letters and every time you repeated it, you could learn some more letters. And guess what? Now you get the Z. It's done. You never had to do it again. Now I got the whole program. How did I do it? I repeated it and I repeated it. I want to drive a car. My parents didn't give me the keys and say, oh, okay, just take the car and have it. I had to do what? Driver training. Practice. Oh, practice. The more practice, the better I learn how to drive. Practice. I say, yes. You want to change a program? A, hypnosis. That's the way you learn for seven years. But you put new programs in after age seven by being repetitious of something. I go, well, here's the problem. You want to create a program that doesn't exist now. I want to be healthy and I'm sick. You say, I want to be healthy. I go, no, 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 that's not the program. You say, I am healthy. Why? I say, let's say you have a recorder. And right now I record today because let's say I'm sick. And I say, recording. Hold it, get up the microphone. <laughs> okay, recording. I want to be healthy. I say, good recording. I say, now let's come back a year from now. I say, push the play button here. And let, let's hear what that says. It says, I want to be healthy. Oh, after a whole year, I never got healthy. I still want to be healthy. Want does not being healthy. Want is the desire to be healthy. So you don't say, I want to be healthy and exercise that as a habit. And I go, I am healthy. I say, yeah, but you're sick. I go, no, I have to get my subconscious mind to say I am healthy. Why? Well, if the subconscious mind is controlling our biology 95% of the time, and my program is I am healthy, and my biology is I'm sick, then the function of the subconscious mind is to heal me. And that's how it works. Okay? The subconscious mind, uh, I am happy, even though you might be depressed as hell. I say, fake it until you, you make, make it. it. Fake it means I keep saying this. And I'm repeating it like a habit. And so I'm not happy. I say, no, keep repeating. I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. And I say, guess what? After a while, the subconscious mind is going to have a program saying I am happy. And I say, why is it relevant? Because the moment something unhappy comes into the mind, the new program, I am happy, says cancel. And now I'm happy again. How did I do that? I had to repeat. I am happy. I am happy all the time for a yeah. while. It's learning a habit. And that is number two, repetition of what you want. And even if you don't have it, you have to make the repetition statement as if you have what you mm. want. Because once that program's in there, the function of the mind is to manifest the program. Okay? Now, lastly, because those two are time-consuming, and I know we're a bunch of lazy people out there because we give it to me instantly. Can I take a pill and get it instantly? And I go, pretty damn close. It's a new field of mo a new modality of psychology called energy psychology. Energy psychology are processes that put your brain into a super learning state. And what I mean by super learning is, well, maybe you've seen somebody who's a super learner. When they go into a bookstore, they open up the book and turn the page and they just move their finger down the page. As fast as they move the finger down the page, they read the book. So in standing in the bookstore in about three or five minutes, they can read an entire book. God. That's called super learning. So 
how do I engage that super learning? I say, these processes integrate right and left brain hemispheres into brain sync, hemisync it's called. That's super learning. And during that moment of super learning, the door opens into the subconscious where I can download a new belief in five to seven minutes. And if you want to say, where's that magic? <laughs> yes, yeah. On my website, brucelipton.com, under resources, I list about 20 or 30 different energy psychology modalities. They all pretty much do the same thing. You say, which one? I say, which one do you like? Pick one that you like. Start with that one. Why is it relevant? We are creating our lives with our minds. Our minds have been primarily programmed by other people. So the fact is, when you're creating from your mind, if you're using the subconscious mind, which is 95% of the day, then you're creating from programs. If you're using the conscious mind, then you're creating live. Live, what do you want? That's why consciousness is so cool. Being mindful means I'm in charge right now. But if I re, you know, go back and default into my subconscious, I'm not in charge of the program. They're already in there. They are going to manifest. And 95% of my life is an expression of program. Therefore, all I do is look at my life and say, which parts don't work? Because that's where the programs are not helping you. And I say, how can I reprogram? And the answer is, A, don't talk to yourself because there's nobody in there. B, you can use auto-hypnosis. You can use repetition. But if you really want some fast results, virtually instantaneous, then seek out these uh, modalities of energy psychology. Because these are the most effective ways of making that change. I'm going straight on. I'm going straight on and I'm checking that out. <laughs> I hope you do because this is the way to re-empower your life. You know, mm. the whole idea is take power back. Because the illnesses that we have on this planet, let me just give you a fact of science. Less than 1% of illness on this planet is due to genetics. Less than 1%. That means 90 plus percent of illness on this planet has nothing to do with your biology, but everything to do with your consciousness, which is the control of your genetics, epigenetics, consciousness. Take back the power of consciousness and you become empowered to create heaven on earth. And if you doubt it, then just go back and look even for that little short period of time called the honeymoon. may have only been a few days, but it was an exciting few days, wasn't it, when you fell in love? Because that was the life that you're entitled to and that you can have if you're not operating from subconscious because that honeymoon was totally an expression of conscious living at the moment. And I say, well, what if I rewrote those negative things in my subconscious and made them all positive things like I want in my conscious mind? Oh, I love this answer. What would happen? The answer is you would live heaven on earth every day without even thinking about it. Why? Because the subconscious will make sure you're living heaven on earth without you even being engaged in it. Your life will automatically be heaven on earth. Why? You've already done heaven on earth, but for a very restricted period of time when you stayed mindful. If you rewrite the subconscious so that your negative programs the ones that you can see from the printout of your life, are replaced with positive ones. Heaven on earth is an everyday reality with no effort. No effort. Subconscious will make sure, without you even consciously being involved, that you will experience heaven on earth. And that 
is the way to fly, baby.